Tyler. I'm Danny. And this is episode 68 of Fried Squirms, The Night of the Demon. Ooh. We're going old school, 57, going satanic. Satan. Yeah. Satan. Satan. Yes. Minute, 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 minute. We didn't have an episode planned out as of last week, and I think we both kind of wanted to go in the direction of Satan, Satan. And kind of an old school one, too, you know? Jump ahead for a second. I mean, since you're going to bring it up, yeah, peek behind the curtain. We had no idea what we were going to do. You suggested Satan. I was like, cool, I'm on board for Satan. <laughs> it's like, we need a little bit more Satan in our life. And then I sort of noticed that we'd been kind of flipping back and forth between the same two time periods for like four or five episodes. We, I think we have. So I decided to start looking beyond that and went old school. And this stood out for a number of reasons, and I'm pretty happy overall that we ended up choosing it. I think it was the first time for both of us. It was. It certainly was. Honestly, prior to this episode recording and you picking it, it's like I'd never even heard of the film. Yeah. Anyway, we'll get into more of that later. Do you have any news from your week before we jump into all of this? I guess briefly, I know last week... We talked about the passing of Arlie Ermey, and unfortunately we had two more passings throughout the week. One of them being Beep Beep Richie, Harry Anderson, passed away as of last Monday. Mm-hmm. And then throughout the week on this past Friday, Vern Troyer passed away. Fucking mini-me. Yeah. So I was like, shit, that's kind of a bummer. So on occasion we do bring up passings of Hollywood actors and so forth, and uh, those were the two that stood out as last week. But aside from that... Not a whole lot, just kind of catching up on some movies, shows, stuff like that. All right, well, I had a little bit of news. I didn't even tell you this yet. There was a sale going on because Friday the 13th just happened. So I bought the Friday the 13th game. Nice. I know you had mentioned it in a previous episode that you wanted to check it out. It's awesome. Honest review, it's okay. Handle's kind of clunky, but there's more good things than bad things about it. Mostly it's just clunky handling that's the worst thing about it. The concept's all really well in place. I didn't really look into the history of the project, but I believe it was originally, like, kickstarted. I believe you're right with that. And I kind of hope big studio money gets sort of thrown around to maybe get us, like, a sequel that's even more fleshed out. It could be. I mean, it's Um, a popular franchise. And maybe a little bit smoother. Cool. Maybe a little bit better graphics. Now, correct me if I'm wrong... I've heard, and I think I've even seen, where you can play as Jason. It's true. Nice. Um, there's no story mode. It's all kind of... Kind of like arcade mode? or You get dropped into a map, and it's a bunch of counselors, and one person is randomly chosen to be Jason. And if you're a counselor, there's a bunch of different ways to escape, but most of them take a little bit of time. And as Jason, you have some abilities to help you hunt down the counselors. That's pretty awesome. But they kind of get a bunch of different places to hide and shit. But they also make a lot of noise and stuff. Honestly, it's when you're Jason, you, you truly are like almost unstoppable. Like yeah. you can take down Jason, but most of the weapons are just enough to maybe stun him for a second before he continues coming at you. But like there's ways to spawn Tommy Jarvis. Nice. Oh, and yeah. he comes in with a fucking shoddy Die. that can really fuck him up. And there's, like, lots of shit to find in the environment and, like, opening up drawers in desks and shit to nice. try to find stuff. Overall, it's pretty neat. The matchmaking is kind of spotty. It definitely helps if you have a headset, so when you run into other counselors, you can sort of coordinate a little bit because doing things like getting both the gas... And the battery for the car takes a little bit of time, and it usually, like, you make a bit of noise while trying to get it done. Yeah, and that's not good when you're trying to get away from Jason. It sucks because it is clunky, so there's not the biggest online community for it, so it also can take a little bit to log into a match and shit. Gotcha. Yeah. And I definitely noticed some, like, just shithead players just in the small amount of time that I played it. And I mean shithead, like... If you're a counselor, I can't blame you for kind of looking out for number one, because it's kind of fucking scary being hunted by Jason. <laughs> yeah, no <clears throat> shit, right? But, like, there was one cat that was sort of looking out for number one, one match, while me and Jesse yesterday were playing as Jason. Nice. And we actually watched this happen, where they freaked out when we sort of arrived on the scene, and they should have just jumped in the fucking car that they were working on, <laughs> because they had just 
gotten it done. That's why we were showing up. Like, we were freaking out. Like, oh, my God, like, three of them are going to fucking get away. Like, what kind of fucking bullshit is this? Like, because Jason can apparently stop the car. We didn't really get a chance to see because we didn't catch up in time. But what ended up happening was one of them jumped in the car. The other two freaked out. I don't know why they didn't just jump in the car. And the one, while he was trying to get away from me, accidentally ran them over. (laughs) That would have been awesome. Hell yeah. (laughs) Didn't have to do shit, but show up. Whatever. That's funny. I think we ended up eventually getting him anyway. I can't remember for sure. I know we only got three people that round. It was not a good round for our Jason, but Ah, whatever. It's okay. But once the round was over... Those little motherfuckers were trying to get them, like, everybody in the lobby to report that guy for fucking running him over. That's what I mean by fucking shithead players. I see what you're saying, yeah. Little butt hurts. Yeah, so, fucking whatever. Just don't be like that. Yeah, I mean, that goes for any gaming. Yeah, I do hope something more gets done with it, I guess. But it's worth checking out, like, especially if you get it on sale. I probably wouldn't pay full price. That's understandable, considering... But that's kind of neat, man. I might have to check it out here in the future. And there's a bunch of really cool kills, and like a lot of thought went into it. There's a lot of really cool shit about it, that's for sure. So, well, cool. Overall, good, worth playing. Maybe not worth full price right now. I can understand. <laughs> well, cool, man. Like I said, outside of that, that kind of wraps up what I've been up to this past week. Yeah, I don't think I have really too much else. So I think we should just get into the butt. Butts. Let's get into the butts. Let's get into the guts and bolts. Satan. Of Satan, yeah. Of Night of the Demon. Nice. of the demon <laughs> so awesome man i'm glad we chose this film we're making it seem like there's a lot more satan in this movie than there really is though. <laughs> we are <laughs> we're definitely building it up all right so let's start with the synopsis yeah i think that's a good place to start all right so a skeptic psychologist has to unravel the mystery behind a satanic cult before the curse on his life is up yeah, I was going to say that before his time runs out. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah, I think that's a good synopsis. We did mention it's an old school flick for us, 1957. British yeah. flick. Yeah, it's a British film. Even though it's weird how, because you get a few American actors, maybe a couple of producers, it's, it gets considered a United States production. It's like, mm, no, it's not. This is just a little piece of trivia that I think I normally would say for the How Does It Make You Squeal because it is something rather enjoyable. Yeah. However, I feel like it's a good selling point for this movie as well, and so I kind of want to go up front with it. This is one of the movies that is referenced in science fiction double feature in Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yeah, I've seen some of the lines they talk about. Yeah, it's really cool. So, yeah, the fucking opening with the lips, and it's fucking... Doing the song. Yeah. Everyone fucking loves it. I actually really prefer the Me First and the Gimme Gimme's version. <laughs> <laughs> when it gets into the second verse, there's some lines about Daner Andrews. Oh, yeah, and they pronounce it Daner. Daner? <laughs> Damn, go figure, right? <laughs> and, oh my god, make some fucking diarrhea jokes. Yeah, gave do you have the prunes. lines? Yeah. Prunes gave him the runes. Yeah. <laughs> that's funny. Dana Andrews said prunes gave him the runes. Yeah, that's awesome. And he had to pass him with skill, something like that. Jesus. That's pretty awesome. Pass him. Yeah. yeah. But it plays into the movie. It does. Absolutely. Which Passing the runes, he absolutely had to... <laughs> that's it's fucked up, right? Yeah, it is. <laughs> but you're right. This film does have a way how it's incorporated even into... Not necessarily like our modern time, but throughout certain cinema like 70s 80s 90s references shows up in song lyrics and things like that i think it's even opening to a couple of songs so yeah it's, it has a major influence through cinema yeah so 
I feel like that's a good selling point, though. Like, if yeah. you've ever wondered, like, <laughs> been sitting like, I know there's lots of fans of fucking Rocky Horror out there. So. There definitely is. I mean, here on a Halloween, if I'm not mistaken, they do a show at the Wilma, you know, and people go and dress up and have a hoot, man. So, still relevant. Cool. So, yeah, fucking what was I saying? Rocky Horror. That was kind of one of the reasons I picked it. The other reason being just the little fact that in an interview, Martin Scorsese rated this amongst his 11 scariest films of all time. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, whatever. It can't be bad, right? No, Scorsese is a great director. So those who are familiar, if he gives it his nod of approval, why not check it out? Also, spoiler alert for the next section. I really love this movie. So thank you, Scorsese. Yeah. Yeah, I have a lot of good things to say about this film. But before we get into that... Exactly. Before we get into that, we do like to talk about the cast and the crew, you know, the people who put all the effort into making the film. It is an adaptation it of is. a story casting the room, runes by M.R. James from 1911. Yeah, it certainly is. And if I'm not mistaken, I believe Charles Bennett, he wound up getting the right to this particular novel and later wrote a script. He sold it off and... One of the other gentlemen I'll mention here in just a little bit picked it up. So that might be a good segue into how this director got involved with the project. But our director is Jacques Turner. People here in the States like to call him Jack Turner, which is more of a kind of an anglicized version of his French name. So with that, Mr. Turner was known for directing films such as Out of the Past, Cat People, I Walked With a Zombie, which I was mentioning to you, for those who are familiar with Rocky Erickson, the musician, he has a song titled, I Walked With a Zombie, so that might be another way how some of his films was influencing another art form. He's also directed such films as The Leopard Man, Berlin Express, The Comedy of Errors, War Gods of the Deep, and he's also done television series such as Bonanza and The Twilight Zone, which I thought was kind of neat, so... Has a really impressive body of work. I know he has a certain style of cinematography he likes to use, which I'll mention in the next section, but what a great director, yeah. man. Yeah, he no. Has a keen uh, eye. I do have to say this is probably the first flick of his I've ever seen, but I was definitely impressed. So Yeah, likewise. So with that, we were talking about our writers, M.R. James, which the story, Casting Runes, is based off. Charles Bennett is responsible for the screenplay. And Charles Bennett has done work for screenplays on films such as Blackmail, The Last Hour. Oh, I do want to point out that, as we mentioned, this movie is from 57. Mm -hmm. So most of these people in movies you might not be familiar with unless you're familiar with movies from like the 30s through 70s. I would totally agree with that. Most of these people's careers. Now, I did notice when I was scrolling through them that a lot of them lived to be ripe old ages yeah even an actress in this film she passed away passed just back during right? december yeah it's like fucking nuts dude yeah so many of them lived a long time and had long careers but considering 57 most of their careers unless you're familiar Gosh. with like the 70s through like the 30s you probably don't know any of them yeah well we're talking 60 plus years later you know yeah. so if you're familiar kudos to you Right. So I was mentioning Bennett. He's also helped write the screenplay for The Man Who Knew Too Much, The 39 Steps, Secret Agent, Sabotage, and <coughs> Young and the Innocent. Now, the other writer who I was mentioning who picked up this script, I actually rewrote it in, you know, in terms of the story. He actually helped with the screenplay. And this, like I said, Chester, he also worked on projects as Crash Out, The Weapon, and School for Scoundrels. So this is a little bit of a spoiler just a little bit, but there was a little bit of friction between all three gentlemen. It was primarily Bennett and Turner had problems with Chester. That was the main issue, and uh, for reasons which we'll delve into later on. But moving on from these gentlemen, I do have a cinematographer on this film. This is Edward Ted Safe. He's done films such as Outcast of the Islands, The House of the Seven Hawks, Tarzan's Three Challenges, The Dirty Dozen, and The Water Babies, which I believe was an animated cartoon. And I believe it also won like some awards for like best animated series and shit like that, which is kind of uh, neat. Also, you kind of glossed over it pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Dirty Dozen is a fucking oh, it's fantastic a movie. Yeah. I mean, that's probably his most well-known work. So there's lots of movies that fall into this weird little subgenre. 
But Dirty Dozen is one of the movies of like take a group of ragtag scoundrels and mold them together into a team and have them accomplish something done just so excruciatingly right. Yeah, so like I said, a lot of these people too, including the cinematographer, were known at one point or another for being like stars in Hollywood, mm-hmm. you know, and this is no exception. With that, we also have our editor on this film is Michael Gordon. He's edited such films as Me and Marlboro, Doomed Cargo, The Sky's the Limit, Malta Story, Simba, Safari, and The Rising of the Moon. Music on this was done by Clifton Parker. You might have heard his work on such films as The Blue Lagoon, The Wooden Horse, 39 Steps, A Circle of Deception, and The Treasure of Monte Cristo. Our composer, actually, I was looking through some of his credits, and I can't mention all of them because this guy's Mm -hmm. done like 500-plus fucking credits. Jesus. Yeah, but his name is uh, Meyer Matheson, and... He helped compose the music. He kind of gets uncredited, even though he shows up in the titles after the film. Gotcha. But I didn't want to mention him. This movie was produced by Frank Beavis. Not from Beavis and Butthead. (laughs) (laughs) And also Hal E. Chester. He was the executive producer on this film. We have a few people for our special effects. George Blackwell, Wally Beavers, Brian Langley, and S.D. Onions, that's kind of an interesting name, helped with the special effects photography on this film. Onions, huh? Yeah, it's pretty neat. Production companies were Columbia Pictures Corporation. They helped present the film and Sabre Film Production. Sabre. Sabre. (laughs) Sabre. Our distributors were Columbia Pictures Corporation. They were responsible for the 1957 United Kingdom theatrical release and Columbia Pictures for the 58 USA theatrical release. Release dates, it had its premiere in Birmingham, England, that is, November 9th, 1957. And then later it had its premiere in London, December 17th, 1957. And here in the States in July of 1958. I do have a few taglines. It has several, but I wrote down two. Okay. The first one I have written down, who will be the next in line to defy the curse? Okay. second one I have is terrifying all the dark forces of black magic hurled against a man and a woman who dare to scoff. Jesus, that's fucking long. <laughs> it is, right? <laughs> I'll take the first one just so I don't have to fucking read a fucking paragraph. Yeah, no kidding. So those were the two that I had associated with the film. As we talk about its release, it's probably worth noting. We both watched Night of the Demon, I yes, believe. Yes, I did. I certainly did. So Night of the Demon was released, and then when it was released in the United States, because as we mentioned, this was a British production, it was trimmed down from 95 minutes to 83 minutes to accelerate the pacing, Mm -hmm. and was retitled Curse of the Demon. Exactly. However, (laughs) later on, as Columbia Pictures, you know, throughout the years continued to put it out and stuff... They eventually switched over to putting out the 95-minute version, but just left the Curse of the Demon name. (laughs) Yeah, it's fucking weird, man. So if you watch the 95-minute version, that's both the original release and the version that we watched. Exactly. But that might still be titled Curse of the Demon. I can understand that. No, I was going to say that this is available for streaming on Shudder, which it is titled Curse of the Demon, and it is like the 83-minute cut of it. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I initially started watching that. I watched maybe like 35-odd minutes or so of it, and I didn't notice a couple of things that were different. Not much, but I didn't notice. I didn't watch it all the way through, so I'd imagine there's some other shit I missed, too. I don't want to get too ahead of myself, but I do have to say that that does tie into the one maybe pseudo-complaint I have about this movie is it does feel drawn out. Mm Mm-hmm. I can uh, see but that, it's still yeah. only a 95-minute movie. It's really not that bad. No, it's not. Not really. And I think the pacing was actually pretty decent. And it being adapted from a short story. Yeah. Yeah. So, so not bad at all. All right. <clears throat> so this was the people who were responsible for behind the scenes. And I'd like to talk about some of the cast because it's a pretty awesome cast <laughs> when you look at the people involved. So even being from 57, there was another draw. Only because I recognized the name. I didn't know where from. Okay. <laughs> He's not our star. Mm-hmm. He's not Dana or Andrews. Nah. Gotcha. And it's not Peggy Cummins. Okay. <laughs> Neil McGinnis. Yeah. 
I recognized the name, and I couldn't understand why I recognized the name. After, you know, I saw him on screen, I'm like, why does he seem so familiar? Yeah. And then later when I sat back and I looked up his credits, I realized why. There's many times I've brought up watching, like, marathons as they'd come on TV, on TBS or TNT back in the day, before we could just marathon things on, like, Netflix. Hell yeah. They had to wait, and they'd usually do, you know, runs of this or that, and sometimes it wouldn't be things necessarily in a series, but sometimes themed together, and... Other times it'd be like the Godzilla marathons and shit that I've mentioned in the past. Neil McGuinness was Zeus in Jason and the Argonauts. Yeah. Which is something that they would usually end up marathoning with like Jason and the Golden Fleece, Mm -hmm. Clash of the Titans. Oh yeah, you probably Sinbad and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. Yeah. It's really awesome. I would always stop and watch those, the fucking Harryhausen effects, all that shit. He was Zeus from my fucking childhood. That's kind of what I remember, like, picturing Zeus looking like. So. Yeah. Fit the bill? Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah, so... Which is now what he looks like in this movie, but... Yeah, well, that's kind of understandable, <laughs> considering. So, Neil McGinnis, he does play Dr. Carswell in this. Julian Carswell, that is. Yeah, he's got a body of work, man, that's really impressive when you look throughout. I think in the 40s, he started doing certain movies like Henry V and Hamlet... He went on to do things in the 50s like Murder in the Cathedral. I think he was in Ivanhoe, Knights of the Round Table, Martin Luther. I mean, he was doing some major production work. A lot of like dramatic theatrical roles. We talked about Jason the Argonauts. He also did Helen of Troy in 56. I think throughout, he worked all the way up into the 60s and 70s. So it's really impressive. Yeah. <laughs> We're looking at the picture of him in Jason the Argonauts as Zeus my boy yeah man so this gentleman is from dublin ireland he passed away i think he was like in his 60s he was one of the few cast members who didn't live until like in their 80s or 90s all right so with that some of the other top billed actors i have in this we did mention dana andrews he plays john holden he's another one of those gentlemen that in the 1940s he was pretty much a lead man in the united states when you start looking at some of his credits, I mean, he's done stuff like The Westerner, The Oxbow Incident. I think he got a starring role in the hit movie Laura from 1944. He also did The Best Years of Our Lives in 1946. Back in the 50s, he kind of had like a kind of a little bit of a dry spell until he hit this film. He also went on to do another film with Jack Turner in 1958, which I can't remember the, quite the title of it, but it was kind of interesting that because of this film, he wanted to work with Turner again. Mm-hmm. If I'm not mistaken, too, he did have a bout with alcoholism, and he wound up doing a PSA in like 1972 to speak out you know, about you know in case you have problems with alcoholism, you know how to get rehab, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So he went on. I think he even did stuff in the 80s. So I mean, he had a prolific career. It did kind of take a dip a little bit later on, but considering from the 40s all the way up to probably roughly in the 60s, he was really prolific in Hollywood. So I mentioned before, Dirty Dozen, amazing war movie. Oh, yeah. About a fucking ragtag group coming together to work as a team. As much as I love the Dirty Dozen, and it's probably a little bit more classic of a film, there was a few movies made about World War II Mm -hmm. that sort of fit that same bill. And I always had a little bit more of a preference for The Devil's Brigade. Nice movie from 1966 it actually ties into montana yeah devil's brigade tells the story of a special forces unit in world war ii that was comprised of american canadian task force a and they were trained for like mountain combat and they trained just over in helena if i remember correctly that's really neat and the movie sort of goes through some of their training and them getting like being mad at each other and you get like drunk pissed off Canadians which is really <laughs> funny and there's like a giant bar brawl that's one of my favorite bar brawls nice. in all of cinema and anyway he's in that movie as well, well that, cool. that's the point I was getting to <laughs> well that's kind of neat that it does tie back in here to Montana and for those a little bit north of us in Canada he's uh, Brigadier General Walter Naylor in that movie cool well <laughs> if it pops up I'll definitely check it out man so with Mr. Andrews, we also have the actress I was mentioning, Peggy Cummings. She plays Joanna Harrington in this film, and she is of Welsh descent, which is kind of neat. And uh, she was the one I mentioned passed away recently, when you consider, I think it was back in December, 
and she passed away. But I think she lived to be like 93, 92, 93, something like that. All right, so with that, some of her film credits go back to the 40s and 50s. She was known for doing films like Gun Crazy, this film, of course, Curse of the Demon. She did Forever Amber in 1947. Meet Mr. Lucifer. Yeah, I saw that. Meet Mr. Lucifer, Always a Bride. Not that I've ever actually seen that, but that's no. an amazing title. Dentist in the Chair. <laughs> Might have to check that one out, too. That one sounds dirty. It does kind of sound dirty. <laughs> <laughs> the Captain's Table. I mean, she was mostly known for doing a lot of work in the 40s up to the 60s. And then after that, she kind of took a dry spell. But really good for the lead in this film, too. I mean, I think it was perfect cast. Some others, I, we don't necessarily have to mention their credits because some of these go back to, like, I think the silent film period. And the one person I do want to mention is Athene Saylor. She played oh, Mrs. Carswell. Oh, because she might have been my favorite character in this entire movie. She was pretty decent. So... She was known for, like I said, doing stuff from like the 19-teens, 20s, 30s. It's like, so if you're familiar with that time period, <laughs> you're doing better than I am. Some other people I do have written down in this film are Liam Redman. He plays Professor Mark O'Brien. I have Peter Elliott as Professor Kumar. I do want to talk about him a little bit later on in the spoiler section. <laughs> oh, okay. Just because it's like, he's not who he appears to be in this film. <laughs> oh, with a name like Peter Elliott, I can... Playing Professor Kumar? Yeah. <laughs> so, anyhow, we also have Maurice Denham. He plays Professor Harrington. Reginald Beckwith is Mr. Meek. And I have Brian Wilde as Rand Hobart. There's two other gentlemen I had written down, but they're in it for just blips. I didn't really, you know, I didn't really pay too much attention to them. But anyhow, that kind of rounds out the cast. And then we talked about the crew. We gave you our synopsis. We should give you a little bit of warning. Oh, Jesus, warning. There's the devil. There's definitely that. If you don't like occultism, witchcraft, things to do with mysticism, the supernatural. And if you don't like an adamantly skeptic lead character. Yeah. I guess. He's definitely a skeptic. No, there's like I mean, no otherwise, dirty like, Yeah, I mean, this is language. a 1957 movie. Like, it's pretty cool. Mild violence. Super mild violence. Ah, man, I don't know, dude. <laughs> That's about it, really. I mean, the worst violence <laughs> that happens, you can sort of tell that it's puppets. Yeah. So. <laughs> oh, my God, are you talking about? <laughs> I would oh, rate shit. this TVY7. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> don't be surprised if you see this, like, on, you know, one of your local channels <laughs> late yeah. at night. <laughs> this this could conceivably be fun for the entire family as long as it you're really okay is. with Satan. I think it is. Yeah, you know, but as long that's, as you're okay with Satan, if you don't mind seeing that or hearing that, yeah, then you're good. Yeah, I guess with that, let's get into how it made us squeal. God, what's happening to me? God, where am I? Why am I hearing these things? Oh God, what? What's going on? Oh, Jesus, come on. Oh my God, what's, what's going on? Where, where am I? Oh, gee, why? Why? Come on, somebody, somebody. Ah, come on, come on, come on. Come on, somebody. Somebody. Ah! Sir. Come on, somebody, somebody's there. Somebody's gotta be there. I will shock you. Come on. Sir. Come on, Sir, you must listen to me. Sir, I only have one question. How does that make you squeal? All right, more Satan. More Satan, more squealing. Okay, so in all reality, you only see to Satan like twice. Yeah, and it's kind of neat how they depict Satan in this, or demon in this, considering the time period too. Like, it's not bad considering, you know? Right, okay, and so I guess that's kind of ties into the other reason I picked this. I was kind of just looking for shit that jumped out for different reasons, and I was like, okay, Scorsese, Satan, old school. And the one other thing that I saw right off the bat... Oh, Neil McGinnis. Yeah. And then the one other thing I saw where I was like, oh, that's interesting. That gives me something to latch onto and something to look for as I watch this movie, even if Scorsese just sucks at picking movies. <laughs> and I saw about the rift between, what is it, Bennett and the other Bennett, two guys? Chester, and Turner, yeah. And that he had put in the Satan, and that it was not supposed to have Satan, that Turner never put in Satan. Those scenes were shot completely separately, and you never, other than some tricky editing, right. you he, never actually really see Satan with anybody else. Right, and if I'm not mistaken, I think Chester insisted on putting it in, 
post-production. At least that's what the story's been told as. And so that intrigued me because I was like, oh, I wonder, like going into this, that's something for me to watch for. Like, would it be better without Satan? That's a good point. I think you even asked me that too because I'd mentioned that I watched oh, a I wanted bit to plan. Normally I wouldn't ask ideas like that of you and save it for the show instead to get your hot take. But I wanted to plant that idea this time. I'm not going to lie. I was like, I want you to think about that. Yeah. Because as I watch through it, I kind of feel like he shouldn't have added Satan in. I can understand that. I, I think it's a it. way more intriguing story without Satan. Either that or going like full Satan and making this kind of like Babadooky. Yeah, so I can understand that for the pure fact that you kind of want to build the suspense and you don't want it to give the movie kind of away in the beginning. You still want to have that skepticism from the main character. I mean, I think that's kind of... More than likely, that's probably what the intention was. It's like you don't know whether or not it's really happening, a lot of this stuff. Right, and No Satan makes... Cummins' last line makes more sense. With the sometimes yeah. it's yeah, better yeah. not to know. Exactly, that's a very good point. Because that is the very last line that's spoken in this film. And really plays off, yeah, like everything else in this movie, where it's kind of ambiguous. Is this really happening? Exactly. Is this just psychological tricks? Because the entire time in this movie, everything that happens, what, Dana Andrews? Right, exactly. Holden. Holden. I, I had him always have him written down as John Holden. or Holden. Holden. There, yeah. I'll remember Holden better than his real name. <laughs> <laughs> Every time he gives an explanation that is just as plausible as what just happened. Yeah. That's kind of the whole point of the movie, is you don't know what's going to go on. Is it really magic? Is it not? Yeah, well, here's something I kind of came across, too. And this is kind of going back even to the gentleman who wrote the short that this this whole thing is based on, is the fact that M.R. James, he was known for kind of writing like colloquial English kind of ghost stories. Okay. And so there's always like this intrigue, this, you know, kind of the unknown factor. And I think that's where Bennett, when he at first had the rights to it, he wrote the script, I think it was called The Haunting, and he really wanted to get it as close as possible to kind of like what James was telling. More or less like what we were saying is that you want to keep that skepticism. Mm-hmm. He regretted selling the rights because then Chester picked it up and rewrote it. This is what it became. And so they had that rift because he had changed the original screenplay that Bennett had in mind. Well, and here's the other thing. I say then if you're going to show Satan... Mm-hmm. Do it only the last time. I would agree with that. Knowing how this movie plays out, that it would make more sense. said, as someone who enjoys campy special effects, yeah. I was super delighted to see Satan really early on in the movie. <laughs> I was too. That's why when you initially asked me that, I'd only seen about a half an hour or so of this film. And when you asked me that, I was like, hell yeah, I wanted to see Satan immediately. <laughs> but as the movie played out, I was like, I can understand why they didn't want to show it at the beginning. Mm-hmm. As far as the movie, how it unfolds, and what we've been alluding to the whole time is you want to keep that sense of the unknown. So, and the other weird thing about this movie is for me, it's happened a bit quicker than it did for the other movie. But the movie that this experience has been most like for me is actually Baskin. Because when I first watched this movie last night, I kind of didn't like it. Okay. But I couldn't stop thinking about it. Yeah. And the way that they built up everything. And how they built everything to be questionable. Mm-hmm. Which way is it going? Is his mental state just deteriorating? Is this actually yeah. going on? Even the way that this was filmed by Jack Turner, it was kind of interesting, too, seeing how in this film, I think in the beginning, without Harrington's death, when you start getting introduced to Holden and you get introduced to Joanna and just mostly all the main characters, is you see them in these wide shots and then later on they kind of get shrunken into these confined spaces. So I think it even builds more of that, like something's going on. Like it's becoming more se. and more personal of a story. Yeah, as and the hunter to, is closing in closer and closer. Yeah, so he he does a really good job of kind of framing some of the suspense. And one of the images that I liked in this film that kind of gives me that feel for that is the <laughs> the B and E, <laughs> the breaking and entering oh. scene. As Holden's going down the stairs, you see the hand kind of trailing, but the first hand on the railing is like a large hand in comparison to where Holden is in the frame. And it gives you that sense of something larger kind of looming over the top of him. And 
that's what I'm getting at a little bit with like the way that he's closing in, the way that he keeps shrinking. I should have watched it a couple more times just to be certain, but I'm pretty sure that in that scene that you're talking about, they show the hand, and the next cut to hold in is from an angle where if someone did have a hand right there, mm-hmm. you would have been able to see them, and there's nothing there. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Which is just another way of fucking playing with you. Yeah, there's some really interesting shots in this film. The uh, museum I love scene. walking into the library. Yeah, and just the overview of the books and the way the library is laid out. It's just that is it was a, just a beautiful way to take advantage really of nice. the fact that they were filming in that space. And precisely, man, that was a really interesting scene. Here's something we really should mention too: is the fact that the way this film opens is we learn about the use of runes, ancient runes, and how they can be incorporated into good and evil, mostly evil in this sense of the film. And it goes back to, I mean, ancient times because it takes place in Stonehenge and the use of runes and how Andrews, or Holden in this case, he relates it back to like hieroglyphics. He's like, yeah, it's just an early form of writing, symbolism. But just knowing in this film that it's kind of, it takes on a life of its own, kind of the rune Mm -hmm. that gets passed along. Uh, so one of the things, as I as I continue to think about this movie, and slightly reinforced by my second showing, though there's not many things in the movie to really... I mean, it's only an hour and a half movie. Exactly. Five minutes over, four minutes over, whatever. But I did find, although, as you mentioned, the runes are being used for evil, I did find the guy using the runes. Oh, Carswell? Yeah, Carswell. Yeah, McGinnis. To be a little bit more... Neil McGinnis, yeah, I was just about to say that. Um, <laughs> to be a little bit more sympathetic of a character. It seems the only things that seem to be shown in the movie is that he gained his magic powers to give his mom a better life yeah, and to have the library he always wanted and to be able to provide for his community. Like, that's kind of the only things that were shown, and the byproduct is that he has to pass off this curse or else it's going to kill him. Yeah, and that's essentially what this is about. <laughs> it's just the parchment that had the runes on it. Yeah, as long as it keeps getting passed on and passed on, it's going to skip the person. And they have to take it without knowing it. Exactly. Now, you know, we were talking about... How... We're jumping all over the place. <laughs> I don't remember how we started on this, but this is a fucking great movie. It is. I mean, it has a lot of talking <laughs> points, and that's the fun of this, too, mm-hmm. is the fact that they're incorporating a lot of themes, a lot of kind of debatable and hot topics amongst, you know, social people and people who are curious into those kind of subject matter. But what I wanted to say is there's a film done by a Raimi, Sam Raimi, that totally reminds me of the film. The more I watch this film, the more I think about the film is, this is kind of a spoiler too, but Drag Me to Hell has a lot of this Drag Me to Hell is very much like, almost like a remake of this movie to an extent. Well, I mean, it's not, but you know what I mean. But no, but here's something. I was thinking about it before even knowing this, right? So I was curious if this film influenced Sam Raimi. And this is an interesting note, a little trivia too, is that he's like, yeah, he's like, I couldn't get the rights to this film to do a remake, so I incorporated a lot of the elements in Night of the Demon into Drag Me to Hell. And that's basically how it plays out if you look at the film as a whole. Oh, Seance scenes. Honestly, I know I mean, it's kind of. Stop being stingy with your rights because, first off, I would love to see a remake of this oh, movie. Oh, man. Well, like I said, Drag Me to Hell is about as close as I can think of. But, I mean, yeah, just a real remake of this would be perfect. It's due. It's definitely due if there's going to be one. I don't know how influential it's truly been, but for me, this movie feels like kind of a groundwork type movie. Oh, definitely. Where it's now ripe for a remake because we found, I mean, 60 years later or whatever, we've found more ways to build and have more technology available to build tension and scenes in certain ways and to truly like use the special effects to do weird things in the background to show the fucking deteriorating mindscape and make you really question. You're right. There's a lot of cool concepts. Because the story's in place because it makes me think about it already like it's, yeah. i thought it was awesome already like the story is in place just gussy it up a little bit like really show me and here's the thing the effects were good too like i love the fucking smoke chasing him in the forest that is kind of neat man it i like how they did that how they pulled that off i like 
There's a particular scene, of course, in this film that probably has notoriety for a number of things, and it kind of made me think of several things in the scene. And I want to mention where Holden and Joanna, they go and visit Carswell's estate for the first time. Even They even mention her. In this case, Holden mentions, he's like, damn, that's, he's got a fucking sweet-ass place. Let's go check it out. What's his hustle? Mm-hmm. And they go and they find out his hustle is he puts on performances for kids and clown makeup. Hold on. That's what I want to bring up. That's one of my talking points. Good, because this scene, <laughs> the next 10 minutes, that scene and then another one within the next 10 minutes gave me uh, two lines. Okay. I never, ever want to hear a clown say again. Okay. I'm ready to hear these. So... When we find out, in this case, that he apparently has performed as a clown for kids and puts on magic shows and whatnot, I started thinking, he says that his name is Bobo the Magnificent, or Mr. Bobo, and I was like, how many people do we know so far that have the Magnificent as their name? <laughs> Mealy John to Montag and the little kid from Babadook, you mm-hmm. know, it's like, that's his third motherfucker. <laughs> But anyhow, there's some other weird stuff going on, too. Two lines I never want to hear a fucking clown say again. Who'd like to stroke a magic puppy? Yeah. Hell yeah. I had that. (laughs) And always preferred sliding down the snakes. Yeah. He says that about the snakes and ladders. Mm -hmm. I preferred sliding down the back of a snake. Oh, by the way, snakes and ladders. It's a British game. You might not know it. Yeah. Which is hilarious now, 60 years later, where... Everyone's at least played Chutes and Ladders, the cleaned up version. This is probably... snakes were too scary? I don't know. I played I yeah. played Snakes and Ladders when I was young because my grandma had a, an older one before nice. it became Chutes and Ladders. You know what I exactly. mean? Exactly. So. That makes sense. What I was going to mention or I uh, wanted to ask is with the car that Joanna has, did you notice her license plate? Uh, 666? Yeah. Like what, what would NLJ be? Can you think of anything? I don't know. No, Lucifer's Johnson. <laughs> I could see that. <laughs> Naughty. But yeah, I was like, that was kind of neat. I knew they did that intentionally, but there was like that line you were talking about, stroking the puppy. It's like, yeah, that's definitely some pedo shit going on. So also, <laughs> Neil McGinnis also sporting just the worst <laughs> evil villain goatee. Oh my gosh, yeah. He's something else. It's not man. the worst, but it, yeah. it doesn't. It doesn't, he doesn't, really he doesn't look natural. Villain vibes off to me in this film. Not no. really. May I could see Sinister, maybe, you know, some other, but not, I don't know. But what I wanted to mention is how he initially starts to kind of fuck with the elements around him naturally. He oh, right. Produces the cyclone. I didn't know cyclones in England. I know. It's a there's witchcraft. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, there's just things like that. I'm but a warlock. Me and Julian Sands are about to go hang out. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but what happened, really, in retrospect and hindsight, and the way that that scene plays out, it's like, he kind of ruined the party for the kids. They were having a good time. And he had to fucking be a little macho and flex his muscles. Ruined it for the kids. Well, and the whole point was to show off his powers without simply summoning the demon, <laughs> yeah. which would also ruin the party, as <laughs> yeah. was pointed out Big by time. <laughs> Yeah, he does mention that. He's like, oh, I can't summon a fucking demon. What is wrong with you? <laughs> yeah, that's pretty cool. Like I said, he fucks with him in the library, which is kind of neat. Just throughout, you can see, like, those effects. Is it real? Is he imagining it? Yeah, it's pretty neat. Hobart has a scene I want to mention, too. I know we're jumping around, but the oh, guy who's fine. supposed to know the secret, who gets institutionalized. Right. They finally hypnotize him. Mm-hmm. He comes out. He reveals some things about Carswell. He attacks, and then he runs toward the window. I was like, we've seen this happen before, too, in a Friday the 15th movie with dogs Dog. and people. <laughs> if I could just jump right out the window, and you now I'm thinking, yeah, it's 1957. They can't really show any gore or splatter, but he just kind of did the prototypical layout of the chalk scene. <laughs> I was okay with that. I was like, okay, that's cool. As we were like, you <clears throat> bastards. I thought it was kind of a neat scene. Like Weirdly, the, uh, it kind of reminded me of something <laughs> like you might see in like a, like a Batman animated series cartoon yeah. or something. So I was cool no. with it. It was a good shot. It was a good looking shot. This film does have like a lot of And noir. the people's coming over to check it out and shit. Yeah, it does have like, like that crime noir kind of feel mm-hmm. to it a little bit in the scenes. But I, I was like, man, that's kind of wild because it was really cool how 
the buildup of all that stuff was happening, the way he gets hypnotized, the way that they were openly going to shoot meth into him, methamphetamines. <laughs> like, hold on, time out. Talking about meth here. They were cool with it back then, I suppose. It's okay. It's what you do. Yeah, with pentothal and you get hit with methamphetamines. Something's coming out. Because the second time through, knowing the rules behind everything, I did realize that in the beginning, when the professor, or was yeah. that what his position was? Or, Harrington. You know who I'm talking about. When he goes to fucking Did he visit Neil Carswell? McGinley. Yeah. But you're right. No. God, I'm the worst with fucking names. Harrington um, visits Carswell in the beginning. When he visits Carswell, yeah. and Carswell asks him about all the shit, and he tells him, I'll do everything I can. I did realize that at that point, he wasn't lying. Because he had just gotten done telling him that the runic paper had been burned. So at that point, yep. there was absolutely nothing he could do. That's a good point. Because what helps Holden is he has dinner with Peggy Cummins, Joanna, whatever. And he has the parchment, and it fucking slips his hand, and it goes, and it hits the grate before he can get to the fire. And it's like, whew, that was fucking close. So there's a couple times that saves his ass, but once he learns, you know, it has to be handed back to the person who gives it to you. But yeah, once it's burnt, you're fucked. You're fucked, bro. I thought it was kind of funny because for me, that scene, it kind of reminded me, like, I was just like, why'd the parchment fucking give up? Yeah. Like, it does, it isn't like, it is like the devil. It does have, like, a death wish, you know, and, like, it wants to fulfill that. Like, fuck it. See ya. Yeah, it wants to get the fuck out of there so that you're the chosen one and the demon gets you. So something funny about that guy. I was like, too. don't give up. Like he's not going for you. Yeah. She even believes it, and she's just fucking standing there. Like, don't give up, little buddy. You can get burned. <laughs> I know, right? What I thought was funny about that guy who played Professor Harrington, how he actually dies. We first get to see the demon, and the fucker he knocks over an electrical pole <laughs> and just kind of crawls around in it. It's like, what? No, don't do that. I mean, I understand that he was frightened by. The devil, but... And that's the thing, if you don't show the devil right there, and then... He gets electrocuted. Did it really happen? Did it really happen? Maybe the animals came afterwards. Just because they weren't able to identify it doesn't mean it was a demon. Yeah, precisely. Even if it was a manic episode, you know? And I keep getting on the fact that they showed the demon, but it really doesn't make the movie that much worse. No, it does. I don't think it does. It's not that much worse, but it just could have been better just by simply... Not maybe a little more that. subtle maybe just yeah. the clouds who knows but yeah i agree with you there it's like initially i liked it but in retrospect and hindsight looking at this film the way it plays out it's like yeah they probably shouldn't have shown it quite like that <laughs> even though i liked it but i agree something that spoke to me personally and maybe it's part of the reason i like the movie but uh i too am a pretty hardcore skeptic to the point where i think i've accidentally pissed off a couple of my friends in the past but yeah. And But I kind of liked the way the movie set up questions, because it's not, being a skeptic isn't just about, like, immediately shutting shit down. Exactly. It's just about having, like, there has to be a certain amount of fucking proof. Yeah, you want to And that's all he was trying for, was, like, every one of these things can coincide with something else. Like, you have to fucking give me something. He's <laughs> absolutely right about that. He's like, you just can't write it off as one thing when it can allude back to other things that you need some testable data for. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, like everything you're fucking telling me is super, you know, is supernatural right now. So Something you, else was going on where that. you can't for 100% say that. Like, I totally agree mm-hmm. with that. And that's what a true skeptic in, in essence is supposed to be. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, yeah. So let's figure it out. <laughs> yeah, and I like that. Give me the proof. <laughs> and I did kind of like that they, they put together a team where... They're not really, you know, all. You know where I'm going with this. <laughs> yes. Like, they're not really out there as a team doing shit together. But right. there's a number of times these three guys yeah, come they get together, together in important parts of the movie. Exactly. And one's a hardcore skeptic, one's kind of in the middle, and one's a believer. Yeah. You get the three wise men. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but and I think I know where you're going. Yeah. All <laughs> right. So now that you bring this, these three gentlemen up, the trifecta. One of the trifecta is Kumar. Yeah, Peter Elliott. I was like, damn. He's like, you know, yeah, it was the 50s. You didn't necessarily have to do them like that. <laughs> you could have found numbers of Indian people who could have played that role. But that's, you know, that's we're talking about 50s here. <laughs> oh, that was kind of funny. And he even does the accent. Luckily, they don't play him too stereotypical. Nah, and it, but it was pretty decent. But it's like, yeah, yeah, we know it's a white guy. <laughs> we know you're English. 
You're right. I did like the fact that they did incorporated that. Like they all had different levels of skepticism, mm-hmm. but they all came to an understanding of their methods, which is kind of neat. And it does kind of play off later on in that. And they're like, even hypnot- later, they're yeah. like, cool, Kumar, you don't want to drink. It's cool. We can still hang out. Yeah. Like, let's keep talking about it. He this. thinks there is a certain hand of the devil's play mm-hmm. <laughs> with libations. But yeah, I did like a lot of that. They were proficient in what they had to do. Stuff like that, that was kind of neat. I mean, <laughs> for me, just knowing that they used meth, that was kind of fucked up. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that in this film. I had to write this down when they're first talking about the runes and stuff. And what's her name? Joanna. Joanna brings up their mysterious and he just writes it off. He's like, fucking, no, runes are one of the oldest forms of alphabets. Like, Hieroglyphics, right? Yeah, whatever. Yeah. No, it's still mysterious that rune, a runic paper, fucking appears in your shit no kidding right that's still mysterious just because runes were a common way a thousand years ago yeah runic paper suddenly showing up is still mysterious hold it exactly it'd be like seeing some marian text show up somewhere you know on your person sometimes new roman shows up and you're like oh people use that fucking phone all the time that's not mysterious no exactly Here's something I do want to mention. I, I definitely need to bring up. This plays along with it too, with the parchment and all that good stuff. Is the fact that these gentlemen do know that their time is going to be up at a certain point. It's usually just a few days after they receive the parchment. I thought that was kind of interesting too. Like that's a, a neat concept that you don't really see a lot. Like knowing exactly when you're going to die. You give you're given the time. Right. It actually reminded me a lot of a Doctor Who episode. Mummy, God, was it was it Mummy on the Orient Express? Was it just the Orient Express? I can't remember, but there was... I don't want to spoil it, because it's a really good episode. <laughs> I doubt. But there was basically, like... It seemed like there was a cursed mummy appearing on this spaceship that was supposed <laughs> to be... Like, it was, like, themed to be, like, 1920s Orient Express. Okay. And fucking, like, flappers and fucking all that bullshit. And, <laughs> uh, I mean, it's not... Anyway... And when you'd first, like, see it and the lights would flick, then there was a certain amount of time before it would get you. And it was always the same amount of time. Gotcha. And so they played with that throughout the episode, huh. too. So Yeah, I think that's kind of neat. It's like, I don't know if I necessarily And only know. the person that was after could see it. Yeah. And so everyone else was like, is it even going on for uh, a little bit? Uh, and then it very obviously was at a certain point. And, you that's kind of cool. Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, like I said, that, I just like that concept that that was kind of a neat way of kind of playing on a different concept too like you can incorporate that in a number of different ways throughout if you want so this is kind of funny it sort of just led all throughout it i mentioned the skeptic thing right i'm not just one because i want to be a dick like i already mentioned like i want when i was little i wanted like all this shit to be real so fucking hard it just was proved time and time again not to be (sighs) but i still would find solace in fucking fantasy books And then one of the series that I currently love is The Dresden Files. And then this ties back in because there's a very prominent character that ties into the main character's past that is kind of a demon, a little bit worse than a demon. Demon would be easier to deal with. Right. But he's literally named He Who Walks Behind. Ah. Which ties into this, like, they keep bringing up, like, this creature keeps coming up time and time and time again. Yeah. throughout all these cultures and i'm like oh well, here's somebody else using that concept and you know that's yeah i like that too. Uh, although they use it more as a metaphor for an std doesn't it follows <laughs> kind of follow that I same think you're right i haven't seen it but i think you're right and having that. to sort of pass off the curse and totally see that yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, that's really neat you know talking about these themes and concepts it is kind of neat how you can incorporate that shit in you know film whether it's overdone or underdone is i guess is up to the person making it but yeah i think it's it's neat how it's incorporated now too that's a good example i don't really have much else about this actually it's pretty i mean okay this is gonna sound bad right especially with how much that i really did enjoy this movie but i did kind of enjoy it a little bit more in my second viewing because i sped it up to 1.6 times okay so it just kind of plays out a little quicker <laughs> yeah yeah i still wanted be... to see all of it mm-hmm. i didn't want shit cut but that is the one thing is it does just feel kind of stretched out at times like the story does. is kind of simple and they just do it marvelously yeah 
there's not many, I guess, flaws, if you want to call it that. I think you're right. Within the time frame, like, a lot of this happens really quick. Like, they fly into London. There's a conference that's happening. Boom, he gets the parchment within a few days of being there. And then he's got a few days to live. This takes place, what, all of within a week, maybe? Pops? Yeah. Tops. You know, so there's a lot of stuff that has to happen. The development of almost... I won't call it a love relationship. I don't think it's really that, but... Oh, no. Oh, I, let's Andrew's talk about that for a second. Andrew kind of does want to get... It looks like he's playing I'm that I'm pretty way. sure she wants the dick. I I'm think pretty she sure that's does. what's going on. Especially towards the end, yeah. So his pickup line that finally worked on her was he mentioned something about cause and effect, and it was very obvious what <laughs> he was alluding towards. Oh, yeah. And she wasn't having it when she thought that he was just asking to hang out and, like, go on a date. It wasn't until that he mentioned cause and effect that she was like, oh, no, okay, let's do this. Yeah, I'm down, shit. So, yeah, there's like, there's that, and it happens quick, like, within a week. Mm-hmm. So you have that. They're figuring out how these people are dying. It's just a lot of quick stuff going on. You know, it's like, that's not really realistic, but I think with enough knowledge of their characters and what they bring, yeah, you can see that. Not that it's a flaw, it's just like I said, there's a lot of shit that has to happen within a week frame. Oh, I can't believe I almost forgot this. Because I was so glad when you mentioned her mm-hmm. in the previous segment. Athene Sailor, Mrs. Carswell, yeah, yeah. is quite possibly the sweetest character we have yet had in a movie on our podcast. Question before we talk about how sweet she is, because she is. She's probably the most sympathetic character in this movie, I would think. Absolutely. All right. There was a point, I'm gonna, this is a confession, there was a point in this film where I thought she was up to no good. Like, I thought she was sinister. This is my first impression. Was actually at that estate thing they were doing for the kids. Mm-hmm. Like the little Halloween thing. And she has the ice cream. And I was like, oh, shit. They're putting stuff in the ice cream. They're fucking up the kids. Mm-hmm. They're gonna fuck up her. Like, Holden didn't want any. They're gonna fuck him up some other hell. So I was like, man, he's got his mom in on this shit. They're drugging kids and they're already doing meth. I would imagine they're probably doing rehypnol and that stuff. So I was thinking at first, yeah, she was up to no good. She's fucking everybody up. That's where I thought it was going to happen. But it, that's not what happens. That never plays out. <laughs> no, and so it in hindsight, all of her actions throughout yeah. this movie. Even when I had moments of doubt, she came through. So we didn't really touch on the medium too much. Uh, that's, yeah, yeah that's kind of neat too. Yeah, we should mention that. But at first, I definitely thought he was faking it. Then I wasn't sure. The first of, voice? Yeah. Well, the second... So, the, yeah, the oh, first voice, I thought yeah. he was faking it for sure. He just yeah. threw on a fucking Irish brogue. And hey, wasn't he supposed to be like a chief? God, from an Indian tribe? Goddamn remember. From America? I'm like, no. It was bad, man. Yes, it was. Really mm-hmm. bad. And then it threw it really threw me and off. She when he was, and she was all about it. And I was like, that was no, part my heart went out for for fucking Mrs. Carswell. I'm like, no, don't be taken in by this fucking uh, Don't be taken in by this fool. Husband. Yeah. And then the little girl's voice came out. Exactly. And I was like, what? And that's also the part that really sealed Mrs. Carswell in my heart forever. See? Because yeah. she was so worried about this deceased little girl. Oh, and yeah. when she mentions like how I can't find my Francine or Francesca or like whatever a doll it was. Or something? And she's like, oh, somebody lost her doll. And she actually checks under the table without even knowing who this little girl is. Yeah. And I was like, That's oh. That's a really good way of looking at that, yeah. So sweet. She was. She was a sweet old lady in this film, and hats off to her. She even has, like, a little cry, too. She's weeping for her son. Yeah. He's fucking evil. She just wants it to stop. Yeah, she's just trying to help out the entire time. Yeah. She has nothing but good intentions, Honestly. Oh, she was showing off his books because she knows how proud, proud he is. Yeah. And he was up to no good. <laughs> and he was just trying to provide a good life for her. I was going to say, they, they had good intentions, but they were using evil but forces. That's what happens when you fucking make a deal with the devil. That's right. Well, he even said nothing for nothing. Yeah. Yeah. You got to have something. <laughs> but yeah, that's kind of neat, man. Yeah, the seance was kind of neat. That was kind of goes back to what I was talking about what dragged me to hell. I was like, yeah, I can see where they brought that. Drag Me to Hell did it really funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like that. I gotta rewatch that movie. Yeah, it's worth a watch. But yeah, I mean, outside of that, the music was really good. They ratcheted up the scenes where it needed to be ratcheted up. I like that it is a black and white film. It plays out almost like a modern film, too. Like, it really does. I, I think this movie is right for a remake yeah, if I think they're it not really is. stingy with the rights. I agree. 
you could play with a lot of different things with the, I mean the the runes if you I want to get you more could, with that. Yeah, I think you could go like back off on it and go way more like psychological. Yeah. You could push way forward on the Satan part and go super supernatural with it, yes, and both ways would work. Exactly. There was a lot of different formats you can go with it. Mm-hmm. And like you said, it was a very good structural, foundational kind of film. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of shit you can do with it. So, I don't know. Maybe somebody will hear this and do that. Yeah, but I think for for us, just kind of you know, wanting to go back and do an older one, one that we weren't really familiar with. For us, uh, literally kind really of just pulling it. one out of our ass. Yeah. This ends up being like a super a lot of find for me. I really, really like this movie. I did too, man. I think it's a, a movie, not only for its time period, just in general. Like, if you're a fan of maybe that type of cinema from that time period or just want to see an, an older British horror film? Yeah, to be fair, I haven't watched a lot of movies from the 50s. I have seen some here or there. Yeah, a point I was going to bring up was like the thing like weirdly knowing Neil McGuinness. Jason is like, yeah, that's pretty awesome. We still grew up in a time period where you would catch those things randomly on TV. Certainly could, yeah. And there wasn't anything else to watch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, especially if you didn't have cable. Yeah. Yeah. You were stuck, Chuck, watching Delta Force and stuff. Like, now, like, if I can... Something from the 50s, 30s comes on, yeah. you can still change fucking MTV. Yeah, if you want to, you have... You can throw on the Jesus Netflix. Jesus Christ, yeah. You can fucking just, like, fuck off to YouTube. <laughs> I'm guilty. Go down that rabbit hole Like, every you day. have to really want to watch something old now. Yeah, you actually do have to make an effort to go see that kind of stuff. Which we we grew up in a time period where it wasn't always an option. Sometimes no. something old was <laughs> what you were watching. That's true. What Westerns? Yeah. Prime example. Oh, yeah. I mean, that was some of my first Westerns I ever saw were because nothing else had anything worth watching on. But fucking, oh, look, this has Clint Eastwood. Oh, Two Meals for Sister Sarah yeah. turns out to I be mean, an amazing movie. I think, like, yeah, I think the more and more that I watch cinema, the more I have a better appreciation. Because as a kid, you only focus on a certain amount of things that you want. I mean, you're fucking good. Mm-hmm. But now as an adult watching films, like, wow, I can appreciate them really for what they're worth. So I have a deeper appreciation for the time period we grew up in. I grew up watching a lot of mostly 50s TV shows, mm. you know, stuff like that. Because of my uncle's mm-hmm. dad, time period they grew up in. So, yeah, I'm familiar with it. But maybe those who are listening now, maybe not. Go check it out. It's good stuff. Yeah, I would highly recommend this movie. I give it... I give it my seal of approval, two thumbs up. Yeah, I'm trying to think of how I want to rate this. What would I, what would I rate Four bong hits out of five. <laughs> <laughs> I would rate this, like... Fuck, I don't want to do, like, a standard out of ten. Yeah, I know. I mean, it, Rotten Tomatoes, I don't like using them because there's, it's so fucking skewed. It's like, what, like 100% on there? Something like that? Yeah, but I think it's off, like, 15 reviews. That's what I'm getting at. Like so it's like, yeah, you can't really trust that. If you go by the database, it's like a 7.7 out of 10, which I can I can see that. I would probably say, yeah, that's probably okay, fair. I, I would give this like... Maybe around the 8s. I would give yeah. this like a 7 out of 10 if you can successfully imagine it without Satan actually popping up on the screen. I would give it an 8 out of 10. And if you can do that yeah. while speeding it up to at least one and a half times, then I give it a <laughs> solid like 8.7. That's a good way of looking at it. I could totally agree with that, man. Uh, but through and through, like, the director, Turner, was had a great eye. I liked the effects. They were practical. The trick of photography is really neat, how they get Satan pulled off in this. I kind of like the ending, too, like how Carswell gets Fucked done up. away with, yeah. If you can ignore the uh, obviously puppet Satan oh, yeah. hands. Well, the face looked puppets, good. The puppet hands looked fucking funny. One other thing about puppets. Couldn't you just get somebody in a suit? You could. Like, that's the era of people in suits, right? Let me ask you about this, about Holden and, what was it, like the cheetah or the leopard? Oh, the stuffed animal? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, see, I actually yeah. thought that scene was done really well, because even though it was still nose They did it in the shadows. They did it really neat. well in the shadows. So. Which is smart. It was really fucking smart. But it's like, yeah, I know what that is. We all know what that is. But, yeah, it was funny. There was one scene in particular like there's a real quick cut where he has it and he pulls it away and then he puts it back on himself that was the giveaway see if i had to include (laughs) showing satan in that movie because i'd rather just not show satan i've made that clear 
But if I had to show Satan, if I had to show he who walks behind, then I would only show it at the end, and I would only show it up to the point where it looks kind of looks like the train hits him. Yeah. And at that point, I wouldn't show it playing with his body. I would just leave it off. And then he never quite goes over there. He's like, maybe not knowing is... Would you keep the last line in the film? That maybe not Sometimes, knowing is yeah, better? Yeah, 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 yeah. I would absolutely... Because then it would make perfect sense. Because mm-hmm. you still... You're unsure. Which I think is neat, yeah. I can see now, knowing some of the stuff like behind the, the scenes, with Turner not liking the fact that Chester put in that shot, those shots of Satan, or the, the demon, whatever... And then Bennett also didn't like the way that he changed the script. He's like, it didn't really go back a lot to the original vision that they had. So mm-hmm. there was the derision there because of production and whatnot. But aside from that, I know it's like we're kind of I'm going in the loop. I do like several things about this film. Solid film, 1950s. I'd recommend it. It okay. doesn't. I mean, it feels like a film from later than the fifties. I think. I too. I would agree too. I think it it would fit right in with some of the stuff that was in the sixties mm-hmm. easily. And I guess I did want to just mention. I think you alluded to it earlier, but I guess if you're a Kate Bush fan, yeah, uh, her world? song "Hounds of Love" starts with a sample. Yeah, it's yeah. in the trees. It's coming. She's actually a pretty fucking dopely delivered line. So it is. It, it's really interesting. Actually, I did watch that video. And speaking it's so of the quick video, in the very beginning, the very beginning too in the video, like there's a guy in a suit running down a hallway. So there's that. But yeah, I mean, it's used in modern culture. We talked about that. It's appeared in song lyrics. Like I said it's very foundational. Martin Scorsese recommended it. What else can we say? Right. Let me see. How did we not lead with this? Before we get out of here, we should probably mention that Jafar 4 oh, is viewable. Yeah. Oh. Um, it's finally going places Love where it. people who listen to this might actually start to get really interested with some of the weird I fucking places so. we're going. So this Check is our out. sleep episode. Jafar, just a friendly reminder. You can see me and Danny's beautiful faces Aww. in a side project. Well, side project for us. Yeah, exactly. Uh, done by... Patrick, who's been on our show on The Shining episode, is set to return at some point in the future. Spoiler. uh, Totally. We have plans for that just whenever they happen. It's just a matter of time. Justin also is involved with the project, who was on our Event Horizon episode. Riley Riley from The Shining. Exactly. So we've had a lot of our friends who are not only in these episodes of Jafar, but they've also been on the show as well. That's on YouTube. Jafar... If you've worked in grocery, it's even better, but <laughs> it's starting to get further and further I like where away the, from where it's that, going, so totally. Please check it out. We would very highly appreciate it, because it's just starting to get more and more fun. Yeah, I'm enjoying the shit out of it. <laughs> I love where it's going. As far as this podcast goes, please hit subscribe, however you're listening to us. That'd be awesome. Yeah, we'd love you even more. If you could also rate us. That would be totally awesome. Also super cool. If you don't like how you're listening to us right now... You can head to our website, friedscrobes.com, and there's links up at the top to the most popular listening things. If we're not on what you want to listen to us on, just drop us a line, squirmcast at gmail.com, or on our Facebook, Fried Squirms, or on our Instagrams, Fried Squirms Squirms Podcast, Podcast, or our Twitter, at Fried Squirms. Yeah. And we'll try to make sure that we get up on to however you want to listen to us. Yeah, so. we still like the recommendations. If you have suggestions, if you like to collaborate, let us know. There's ways to find us. Yeah, all that good stuff. We still love you. Uh, we don't have next week picked out. So. No, I'm kind of liking this, too, because it's always an adventure. Yeah, we're going to... Yeah, It's an adventure. <laughs> I'm kind of... I don't know about you. I'm kind of feeling fucked up. Yeah, I'm feeling good. <laughs> No, no, no. I mean, I'm feeling for the next episode. Oh, I know what you're saying. Let's do this. Fried Squirms, out. out.